Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. years ago I fought my way out of that cave became Iron Man realized I loved you I know I said no more surprises but I was really hoping to pull off one last one the world has changed 
none of us can go back. All we can do is our best. And sometimes the best that we can do is to start over. Welcome, everyone, in the listening universe to a quintessential episode of The Film Board from The Next Reel on Rashpixel.fm. We spoil movies, and I say quintessential because Avengers Endgame came out this week, and it embodies the exact reason why The Film Board exists. It's a huge movie that everyone and their nerdy cousins are seeing, and it sparks a huge desire for deep conversations about story and storytelling and acting and art and music and entertainment and the film industry as a whole. But no one can talk about it lest they be surrounded by some mixed company that hasn't seen it and unleashed the bitterness of epic spoiler fails. So you have come to the right safe space to get your spoiler fix because we have assembled our own team of Spoilvengers. Spoilvengers. <laughs> well, I'm not. Yeah, I didn't do that one very well, but we're here. That's we're gross. here and we've seen the movie and we can't wait to navigate back through time and fix your future. Oh, that's uh, I'm already getting into spoilers, so let's slow down and introduce our host. Welcome back to today, Pete Wright. I just hope I make it through without crying. <laughs> it starts early. The crying starts early. Hello, Steve Sarmento. <laughs> Uh, unlike other Steves, I do not have an American ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so happy about that. Hey, y'all know me as JJ, and we have way, way too much to talk about with this three-hour beast. So let's jump right in with our initial thoughts. How many times have you already seen it, Steve? I have only seen it once, oh. which happened at 7 a.m. this morning. Nice, nice. What did you think of it? I'm going to just throw all this out there to start. Um, the foundation for the MCU was really, I think, established nearly 20 years ago with Brian Singer's X-Men in 2000, ah. because soon after that, I recall many interviews with Brian Singer in which, you know, comic book heroes were discussed as a uniquely American mythology. You know, superheroes were the new mythical gods and heroes of 20th century America. And then the following year, sci-fi fantasy fans were gifted with the first part of an epic story with the first installment of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, which was an exploration of a small band of heroes battling a seemingly insurmountable force of evil that threatened destroy, to destroy their world. And two years later, that trilogy culminated in a three-and-a-half-hour film that everyone was talking about how that movie had multiple endings because they took time to really show us the ending of each of these characters' stories and how they were impacted by their journey. And I think without those two films, we would not have Avengers Endgame today. Well, that's interesting. Wow. I don't know that anyone else is talking. Well, I haven't heard anybody else talking about it in that way. And I think I think that's a positive thing because I, I, I loved both of those franchises that you bring up there. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Pete, how many times have you seen it? Well, just just the once so far. My second time is, is coming tomorrow at uh, tomorrow afternoon. I well, I mean, I found it deeply moving, and I, I, I'm, I am one of those people that is deeply emotionally invested in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and in these characters uh, since the the first of the of, of I'll say now our current generation of Marvel Cinematic Universe than the with with Iron Man, um, and and this movie uh, hit every single uh, point that I needed to to see in order to sort of wrap up the end of the Avengers 
first gen storyline, you know, and and uh, to touch on these characters' major moments, to do so in a way that allowed the new characters to to live on and thrive in in a, a new new world. You know, what is it going to be like when they have to take up um, you know take up arms again against whatever the next you know grand uh, you know, devastation comes our way? How are we going to do it? What have we learned? And I think they they did. Uh, so in a way that that allows us to embrace and extend what we have already learned and demonstrated in the last 21 films to come before it and to make me equally um, and, and with a warm and open heart look forward to whatever they do next. I'm I am very excited about this movie. I am, too. And I think that, you know, I like that you say that they hit on so many points. They hit on every point is what you said uh, that you needed. And I mean, I don't know if I'm happy with every point, but gosh, darn it. I love this movie. Um, I was crying from the beginning to the end. And it wasn't it wasn't like because of high drama. It was because of that thing you mentioned. I got invested in all these stories for so long. And you get the feeling that there's this sort of grace or love that they had for all of the characters and all the stories too from the beginning to the end when they give us the special you know sign off for each of the main avengers characters i loved it and you know we're gonna get into spoilers so i want to break that through that right away and do some synopsis i don't want to do too much synopsis though because we're gonna need to pick things apart as we go through but essentially uh, people should know that the, the way that i view the story and i want you guys to challenge me on this too if you see it differently but that essentially after thanos snapped half the living things in the universe into oblivion in like Last year's Infinity War, Ant-Man uh, was not snapped away and he got stuck in the quantum realm. And then by a freak accident involving a very well-written rat, uh, he was able to get back to the real world five years later after the surviving Avengers have already found Thanos and killed him in vengeance. But they're all living in misery. Everyone's living in misery over all that the world has lost. And so Ant-Man presents this quantum travel as a way to reverse the stone's impact. And then they embark on this detailed time heist was their words. I, I, I don't know. Uh, time heist is what it is. But uh, it encompasses almost all of the original 21 movies to return things to the way they were uh, past Thanos, then figures out a way to figures out their plan and figures out a way to head it all off at the past. And we're given a second and new epic battle with both massive super armies. And now all of this brings up so many questions about sacrificing for the greater good, longing for the past, enjoying your present. But where I want to start is time travel. I had... <laughs> so many guesses about the way that they were yes. going to try to do this. And I will tell you that going into this movie, I didn't want it to be time travel. Um, but it seems to make sense. Um, how did you guys feel about the fact that they chose time travel? And is the science as they explained it, does does it make any sense how they're telling us science? This is a different version of time travel than we've seen before. Pete, Pete you and Andy have done a time travel series, right? Is this like any of the time travel that you've seen before? Well, I mean, it's uh, the time travel movies that we did all have their own sort of unique personality when it comes to, you know, what is allowed, what is, you know, what is going to be forgiven and what is going to be written off, you know, as, as distraction. And I, I think they actually did a, a a great job, you know, once they got into the rule setting of just saying, don't worry, you guys. Everything you've seen in movies and TV isn't true. What we're saying is true, and you should just believe us, even though we as audience members know that they're actually in a movie. movie. 
or yeah. it's just another movie. And so I, I think that sort of meta hanging a flag or a lantern on this particular thing, I think, was a really great play. I'm with you, though. Um, I was, I, I think, initially disappointed in time travel because in in my head it felt like the easiest way out right, right. It, it was it the felt easiest like a way exactly even though i think they've actually done a pretty good job you know if you if you have been watching the trailers they've done a pretty good job of setting us up that we're going to be going back in time and we're going to be using the quantum realm to get there and thank goodness ant-man was stuck in the quantum realm and he is he <laughs> knows all this stuff um because uh you know he's going to be he's going to be the 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 guy who unlocks this particular chapter for us i I, I I got used to it pretty quickly, though, and I think because the entire thing in this second act as we discover what the time travel mechanic is, is to get us out of the uh, the the doldrums of coming to terms with the New World Order of half of the people being exterminated and uh, and and walking through memory lane. I mean, this entire movie was machined uh, to give us a, a tour of the Avengers, the original Avengers, you know, before, you know, what came before. And so we can kind of see that. And that there's a lot of heart in that. And so I find that by, you know, my connection, my personal and emotional connection to these characters and what they did, it, it actually allowed me to forgive the time travel thing. I actually think the heist mechanic was kind of fun and that they split up the team in a unique way. And I I, I enjoyed all that. I I, I felt like they came to it with, you know, they, they weren't really manipulating me insofar as they were just having a good time with a, a good story. I like that, too. And I don't want to take anything away from that. But the main change from my understanding, again, of movie time travel is that concept of when you go in the back and they address this, right? They bring up all yeah. these different movies. They talk about Back to the Future. They they literally point the finger at all these movies that talk about when you change the past, you change your future. And they say that's bunk, right? Mm -hmm. So is there is there science to back this up or is this just another creative time travel idea? <laughs> Well, there, I, I, no, there's no science I, to time travel. No, you no give science to doing that. You give uh, Tony Stark okay. a bunch of big fancy words, you know, to say that sound scientific. But no, I mean, I think a they, quantum GPS. Yes, that, <laughs> and then he talks about these different effects and stuff. Uh, you know, but I, I think they the way they addressed it though was to, you know, cut through everything to say we don't have to worry about ripple effects and all of this. I mean, we do have a little bit of branching that you know the. We, we learned about, but basically mm -hmm. there's no rules. The rules are you go through this just like anything else because when you're in the past, that's your present and all of that, so you don't have to worry about those things, um, which I, I appreciated because we then did not have to have a scene with some audience surrogate explaining like why we can or can't do these things and consequences. It just cut all of that out so that we didn't have to worry about that. It was just, look, don't worry about it, just go. Everything is reality mm -hmm. and that's it. And it, it kept it simple and I didn't have to worry about, oh, what rules do I have to pay attention to? And then, I, yeah. then I'm then I'm starting to second guess, you know, if, if there's rules, then that really constricts them as far as what they can have characters do because then audience members are going to be like, well, you know, but this character said this and then in this scene, this person's obviously doing that, which is a violation. Yeah. Get rid of all of that. Um, yeah, and I guess, so I shouldn't say science because obviously, yes. you know, there's not science to back this up, but there's right. theoretical ideas in yes. terms yeah. of quantum physics they can do. And sure. of course, when we're, when the first explanation we have for this is from the ancient one and she's 
she he is talking to us about uh, I don't know her pro- the the pronouns for the ancient one, but the 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 concept that we create other realities. The the thing is, I guess I'm not saying is there science to back it up, but is it believable in that it's really another Deus Ex Machina? It, it, the time travel in and of itself, this whole thing is written for the purpose of the story. So did you believe it? And I think Pete, your point your point makes sense, right? That I I bought into it early enough, even though I didn't want it to be that when I got in. I wanted it to be something mystical, which also doesn't have science based on the stones and their power. But you know what? Um, this is this is was a good setup, and they set us up well for it. And I bought into it for the purpose of the story as well. Well, and I, I want to add because I, I realize I didn't actually answer your question. There is a wonderful time travel movie called Time Crimes from 2007, which if oh, you haven't yes. seen is a is a wonderful uh, uh, film from uh, writer director Nacho Vigalondo, and it it yeah. does a similar thing here where yeah, there's time travel, um, but the rules are such that you you shouldn't mess with like you shouldn't get in the way of what's going on, and it ends up creating this looping thing because there are social and cultural consequences, but not physics, right? So yes. not not sure. the quantum, you know, challenges that we deal with. And I think that's that actually makes it, uh, I, I think, a much more interesting story because it frees you of having to jump through these intellectual like loopholes uh, as you're watching right. the movie. It just lets you watch the movie. And I think we see that when they go back to New York in 2012 and they just kind of stay in the alley and then Hulk, you know, you're going to have to take your shirt off and, and uh, we need to talk about Hulk uh, <laughs> because he's exceptional. But um, uh, but but you're just going to have to play the part right now so that we can get the job done, not because we're going to cause a clash and our photons and electrons and everything's going to do crazy stuff and our time crons and chrono particles are going to break. You know, we don't have to worry about that. We just have to get the job done. And I think that that actually frees in a three hour movie. There's already a lot of weight on the story. You don't want to bog it down with time rules. So the physics apocalypse that is described by other time travel movies is pre Y2K virus and the social apocalypse <laughs> that we get from time travel movies since then is what we understand really happens after Y2K. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah. No, I like it because I think it becomes service to the story. And part of my favorite parts of the story were the reunions that we get with the people that we knew from the earlier movies, especially, you know, I, I, I it's going to be hard for us to talk about each of these stories separately without bringing in the actors. I think we're going to kind of bleed into that as we talk here. But um, my one of my favorite character arcs and something that was really important to me was was Thor and what Thor went through in terms of depression after he lost everything. And then in this realm of time travel, when they go back to Asgard to retrieve the reality stone, he witnesses and gets to connect with his mother. And it's one of the most powerful scenes for me when she is all knowing and saying, yeah, I know I'm, I was brought up by witches. I know what's going on here. Like mm-hmm. she just knows and she's just a part of it. And now to think of that reality, let's not talk about it as time right now, but that reality that 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 Frigga gets to spend time with her son and isn't ruined for what's happening in her in her future and she gets to see that and you get that moment between them and the, the, some of the lines are so great it's i mean i want to remember them but it's the thing of if you spend too much time trying to be what you think you're supposed to be you'll miss out on being the person you are and i was just like ah oh. i mean this is the kind of stuff that from the social aspect of the movie the heart that's in this movie this brought me back to the the things that i liked so much about happy death day to you in february you've got all this physics and 
science that honestly is just written for the, for the movie and is just trying to, you know, create a science fiction reason, reason to put it together. But when you do the heart part right, that's what I want to see in a movie. And that was so great for me here. Were there other reunions like that that really worked for you guys? Oh, absolutely. Ant-Man and his daughter. Uh, sure. And I think Ant-Man was, for me, one of the really interesting ones because he essentially got a Captain America storyline, right, where he disappears for five hours. He was essentially frozen and then comes out five years later and the entire universe is different. And uh, I, and I think that was really interesting, watching him walk down the apocalyptic suburban street and go to the house and see his now, you know, essentially grown daughter uh, and and have that reunion, I thought, was um, w- w- enormously powerful. Yeah. And then and, and Tony, you know, meeting his dad as well and having the conversation with his dad after, you know, I don't even remember which movie it was in when Tony finds the old movie of his dad talking about him as being his greatest creation and, you know, having to live with that. But his dad has passed away and now traveling in time and getting to meet his dad and having that heartwarming conversation with it. Just they really did the heart things right. And of course, go ahead and write time travel however you want to do it. If you're going to give me this good stuff, including, you know, Captain America fighting Captain America and (laughs) (laughs) making fun of him and like, oh, yeah, I get it. You're you're this guy. But uh Well, it was great. And, and I think that was actually the the Tony Stark bit when he goes back and sees his dad is is one of my favorite uh, Easter eggs in the in, in the film, because to my understanding and my memory, it is the only one where we actually have an Easter egg from a TV show, one of the Marvel TV shows in an MCU film. And it is uh, James Darcy. Uh, who plays the role of human Jarvis for, yeah. uh, you know, for uh, Howard Stark in uh, and this was from Agent Carter. And so we got to know Jarvis and that voice and to see him as the, uh, you know, as the the valet here, uh, even in this one quick shot, I think was it was just really satisfying for fans of Agent Carter and and that that era. I think those reunions were really powerful because they were in the context of, you know, the the first act of this film is so much about, you know, big questions like how how do we respond to tragedy and trauma and how do we cope with loss? And we've, you know, that is part of the main arc that we see with with Tony and Steve and the, you know, it's the core of the, you know, going back to the Civil War of, you know, family and loss. And it just wrapped that all up. But I think it's because it's rooted in essential questions that people always face and struggle with. How, how do I respond to these things? And then later on, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we get to, you know, for like Thor facing, you know, what does it mean to live heroically in the face of, you know, the inevitable and ever present threats for our way of life? And that's, you know, the conversation with his mom, JJ, that you talked about of like, you know, instead of being the person you think you're supposed to be. So what does it really mean to be a hero? Is it what everybody else defines as a hero? Is it being true to who you are? There are such big questions that this film is sort of posing and, and giving us in the context of all of these things. And so much of it is about family as well uh you know that's the the really crucial you know question for tony is he's been given you know this opportunity and now to go back in time is to to risk losing everything uh you know this the stability of family to put that at risk and that is a really tough decision 
to make. And I, as a parent, there are so many moments of, you know, fathers and children throughout this film. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's what hit me the hardest. Those those are the tearful moments for me as those parent-child dynamics throughout and all their iterations with all of these characters just worked so well. You know, I find it really funny, Steve, to that point that there was such a hue and cry about what happened to Hawkeye in Infinity War. <laughs> and, right, right. and that, you know, to that point, the I mean, before the endgame title card comes up, we get a family moment that is devastating, uh, devastating. from Hawkeye as as we see what happened to Hawkeye during Infinity War. And. Uh, and and the, essentially the instigating event that caused him to fall off the radar. And I yeah. I thought that was terrific watching him, you know, in just in as long as it takes to snap a finger as he turns around uh, and sees that his whole family has just disappeared. And he, unlike us, has no explanation for it at that time. Uh, that was uh, it, it was incredible. It was incredible. I was very excited with what they did with Hawkeye because I know the first Avengers film, there was a you know a huge outcry of you have this great character of Hawkeye and, and what are you doing with him? Uh, he's you know he's brainwashed and you know for all of that movie and he, you know was he being utilized? He wasn't given a lot to do as a as a character, but I think here in Infinity where there's so much that we get with Hawkeye, with his family, with his relationship with Natasha all culminating here. Uh, I really feel like they did justice to that character, to really giving him so much to work through, so many difficult decisions, so much into his, who he is. And I I feel that they deserve recognition and credit for that because I know there was, there were so many fans that were really upset that they weren't doing what, doing justice to the character of Hawkeye early on in this franchise. You know, and I think that's the way for us to take maybe a next step on this because there are so many characters to this. I mean, the page, it's, it's pages and pages on, on characters and stars that are involved in this movie. But, you know, maybe we take a look at where they've come from, like you're talking about, and where they're going to because there has already been stuff announced for, for Hawkeye. And I think that there's a really interesting point there too. So maybe we start there and we take a look at this. Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner, I assume as well, uh, is being set for a Disney Plus a TV series. And what I find interesting is that at the end of the movie, when they're at the funeral, uh, he's standing with and having an end moment with Scarlet Witch. And I think it's really interesting to think that um, if you look in the comic book universe, two of the original members of the West Coast Avengers are Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch. The other people that are involved in the West Coast Avengers are Iron Man, which, you know, is is going to be a little difficult now, but we still have War Machine. And then we also have Vision. These are all characters that are on the West Coast Avengers. And now there's a lot of questions about the people who have died over the course of Infinity War and Endgame and how they are going to get them back. But I feel like there was a bit of an Easter egg in Infinity War when Shuri was working on Vision before she uh, is attacked in the lab during the big fight. She uh, takes all of the information about his that she's working on and uh, and basically like zips it up, right? Saves it to file before everything moves away. So I believe that they're going to give us a way to recreate Vision and they would do it with the purpose of everything they described with Vision being an amalgam of 
Ultron and Tony and uh, Bruce Banner. And they're going to want those brains back working with them. They're going to still want what they can get from those pings. So they're going to recreate vision and potentially set up the grounds for the West Coast Avengers uh, going forward. I think West Coast Avengers is a prime property for Disney Plus. Like that doesn't I I'm not sure because I'm not, you know, I'm not as invested in what they did and how they split the the you know, factionalized the the Avengers, but uh it just feels to me like if we're gonna do some uh prime properties on Disney Plus, that is that's a great place for it. Well, and we already know about Hawkeye coming yeah. out is or in development, and I've heard of WandaVision as well. Is that yeah. something that you've heard too? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that too. I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with those characters. I'm, I am, you know, I, I think we need to talk a little bit about the original six too, and just how they handled, you know, moving the original six on. I think Jeremy Renner is, they used him so great here. I don't think they ever named him as Ronan. I was looking forward no, to hearing him called Ronan and we didn't get that, but you know, no. they also set the, the table, I think for, you know, the, the family story, right. And maybe his, his, his daughter doesn't in the yeah. comic doesn't his daughter take over some some of that she does become another character who is an archer as well yes yeah and and so i'm i'm eager to see how they they invest in in that you, you know for me the hulk was the huge win uh in in terms of of evolution to character in this movie <laughs> like massive win and i don't i don't know if it's i i take no credit for this other than just i, I don't know ego but i walked out of infinity war and the only thing i could think about is they have to to resolve this personality disorder that hulk banner has right now and bring us professor hulk they have to do that and i had no reason to believe that they were actually doing it, apart from just really wanting it so so bad and so when they actually introduce us to uh hulk in this movie and he is wearing a shirt and glasses and has and describes what it means to exist and be at peace between, you know, Hulk and Banner, I was just, I mean, I was rewarded all up and down the street. I, it felt like uh, it was Christmas morning. It was just, it, it was amazing. And I think Ruffalo playing this CG character was terrific. I think he was just fantastic. I think he was one of the best performances in the movie, rounded. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you look at who, what he's going to do. Um, he isn't really given us a direction for what's going to happen to the Hulk uh, after this. Mm -hmm. He, we see him in somewhat of a brace, right? Because he is the one that it, it essentially snaps everyone back into existence with the, uh, the infinity stones, but we don't know what Hulk is going to do next. Um, it, it could be, you know, they've talked about a black widow solo movie, but I've always heard that's going to be a prequel. I think their relationship is interestingly, is interestingly paired for the future of that original six. Yeah. The interesting thing about the Hulk character was he, his, his conflict, his resolution happens in that five year gap yeah everybody else is working through it. we you know he's already he's already at his resolution that's where he is that's where he's going to continue to be everybody else is working through you know working through their issues he's already had had the time to to work through this that you know as he said you know he and hulk you know banner and hulk were both feeling as failures um mm -hmm. that it was on them and and he they came to terms with that and it sort of sets the tone for where everybody else needs to go they've got to come to terms with what what are the 
pieces that are at odds and how are they going to find their piece uh, with everything? You know, as we, you know, as, as Pepper says, you know, about Tony, you know, he's making that decision of whether or not to go do the time travel. She's like, but you know, you, you could put a pin in it, but you'd never be at rest. Um, you know, and so it, how does Tony achieve that rest? How does, how does Steve, you know, finally resolve the sort of like eternally unrequited love with, with Peggy and we, and we get that, you know, aspect of it. So, but for Hulk, I thought that was interesting because yeah, we, we don't have any sense of where he's going, but he, he doesn't really have anywhere to go. He's, he's achieved that piece. And so whatever stories he does to me, I don't know that I need to see them because he's, he's where he needs to be. And he may be a side character in other stories, but I know he'll be fine wherever he is. Everybody else sort of at the end of this film achieved that peace or resolution or whatever. So the question is, what does that mean for them going forward? I have a sense of what it means for, for you know, Professor Hulk, but for everybody else uh, being on the other side of this, what does that mean for them? Those are the interesting stories that I'm, you know, I, I want to see. Yeah, we've reached peak Hulk. In yes. this movie. And that was it. That was great. And it's it was it was what I needed. Again, it's yes. one of those points. I just needed a box checked and I loved it and I laughed. And it's okay that his journey is resolved in this yes. movie. Oh, That'll, yes. So it's great. Yeah, it, it, it could be a fitting end. We'll see if they bring him back. We, you mm-hmm. talk about the original six. With Captain America, he created his own end, right? In, yes. in mm-hmm. finally getting the life that he wanted with Peggy Carter. Um, and what uh, in his time travel towards the end, were you satisfied with uh, the end for Chris Evans and uh, Captain America? God, yes, and his age makeup. Man, oh. did I buy Ooh. that. Yes, yes, wow. I did too. Uh, Evan said at the before the movie that he thought that this was the end for him uh, and uh, Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Chris Hemsworth. Um, I was happy with Captain's end. I don't think Hemsworth is done, though. Didn't he just join the Asgardians of the Galaxy at the end of the movie? Yes. <laughs> yes <laughs> I don't know what is up with that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I love it. <laughs> you know, he, and, and then he and giving the kingdom over to Valkyrie. Like that feels like it's not an end. And I'm, I know lots of people in our discord channel always kind of, they poke at Thor two as this kind of movie to be mocked. I really like the Thor franchise after guardians. It's probably my second favorite in the verticals here. Um, But I don't think he's done. I don't know what they're going to do next, but I don't think he's done. Do you guys? I I don't know. I I wouldn't be disappointed if, if he was done because I feel like his arc to to me emotionally is it's, I'm satisfied with it. I also feel like they did such a major pivot with Ragnarok and created essentially a new Thor. And to allow this Thor to kind of stretch his legs a little bit and see what happens after this movie, I wouldn't be disappointed in that either. Uh, Though there is part of me that just feels like we... We need to be done with all of these original characters and see what happens when they get out of the way. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I mean, they could just drop him off somewhere and we could never hear from him again. And go right. I mean, I, and we'd all just accept it at this point. Right? Exactly. And I, I actually think that might be the best thing to happen because the, the part I love the banter between Chris uh, or between uh, Chris Pratt and and Hemsworth Thor and, and Quill. It, the banter's funny. It gets old. Like, I, it, yeah, part of me just wants my guardians back. Like I sure. it, Thor is a is a fun and funny distraction for a while. Yes, agreed. I think that's fair. We should we talk more about Tony? I mean, honestly, this is Tony's franchise. This is Robert Downey yeah. Jr.'s 
I mean, this is, and they did it beautifully, how they brought it to the end. I mean, Steve, you brought up that conversation that Pepper and Tony have about, would you be able to rest? I want, I, I want to give credit to the writers in this because it was a narrative through line that was exclusively in Endgame, at, at least that's the way I sensed it, about this concept of saying that things are going to be okay and it's going to be, and you can rest. And that ultimately is the end the last thing that uh, that Pepper says to Tony to let him to release him from his obligation to the world. I thought it was beautiful. I didn't catch it when it was happening. You know, Tony says it to Howard, his dad. It's just this great thing that I loved. And I thought it was beautiful the way the way that they did it. N- at, n- at no point did I think that the way it was going to go down with the stones was going to be put on Tony. And I think yeah. it was a really, really smart way to end this movie. I I yes, I agree wholeheartedly. It's it's you know it's it's Tony's arc, and even even just within Endgame, of uh, you know the the what Tony goes through. I mean, you you go back to Iron Man one, and we've got you know the much larger story. But even here with where he starts at the beginning, and he's he's done. You know when he when he gets back, he is done with them. And I thought, okay, how are they gonna how are they gonna do this without Tony? How are we gonna get them back in? To this they can't do this without tony how do we given that he has everything he is satisfied with his life he's got a family he you know how do you pull him back in and they they were able to pull that off and then the the final resolution to everything with him yeah just worked so beautifully um and the, the uh, you know even the moment with peter parker when he's back um just mm-hmm. oh my gosh I, I i can't count the number of times my eyes teared up in this because there is a you know I said there are so many just heartwarming moments because you know the history of these characters and their relationships and you and if you've seen you know the Spider-Man movies and you know you know Tony the the obligation or responsibility he feels towards Peter because he's he's pulled him into this and now he feels you know responsible for him and so when he loses the kid um mm-hmm. you know that you know how much that hurts him and so when Peter comes back that just Oh, it got me. That scene was great. Ugh. Their reunion was was great. And Robert Downey Jr. as an actor is really what made that great for me. I mean, yeah. I mean Tom Holland's eagerness was beautiful, too. But yeah. his just sort of uh, amazement of that it's it's worked. He's back. This is wonderful. was great. I will say that when Tony is dying, the fact that Peter is the first to get to him, I didn't need that. I felt like that was uh, a little bit of pulling at the same string that I had in Infinity War. And I love uh, that moment in Infinity War is so beautiful to me. Whereas Gwyneth's, Gwyneth's moment in Endgame is so powerful. Like you mentioned at the top of the show that you're going to start tearing up. I'm getting just even thinking about it is so much for me. I felt that like... You have this huge cast and you sit down, Gwyneth Paltrow and Robert Downey Jr. And you're like, okay, the adults have come to play and these are the heavy hitters because, dag, she delivered that so well. And I was with it, like, because I didn't get it before that. I mean, I got it from an action, you know, coming down off of it. But she, as an actress, pulled me into the heart moment with that. And it was so perfect. I, I it, It's... It's tears from beginning to end for me in this movie. And that was such a great punctuation for it. Um, and, and she did it in the, what is it? The protector yes. uniform, right? Yes. <laughs> is that what it's called? The yes. protector? Yes. So yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, God, I just loved it. But you know what? I mean, I was already a mess 
at that point, how did the uh, the I Am Iron Man line land on you guys? It was good. Oh yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I mean that's that's from movie one, right? I mean that's yeah. how the end they yes. end the first movie. And it was such a confident and and yes. like comedic and shock line in movie one, you know. And right. in in this line, it reduced me to simpering. Yes. Yeah. That was one of the big crying times. I when they played the theme and the portals open up. You know, oh you've my got gosh. Captain America, you've got Thor, <laughs> and you've got Iron Man, and they're fighting Thanos, and they're about to lose. And then the portals open up, and yeah. everyone joins the fight. And that moment was just the biggest, like, here it comes. And it was done right with the music. It was done right with everything. And everybody comes, and because of the conceit that they drew in the time travel world, they all knew what was up, and they all came to play. And that was yeah. intense and wonderful. And, I, and you know, it's funny, I did not get, uh, I, I wasn't Helms deeped by no. this fight. what do you mean by that? Right. This was such yes. a giant fight with so many characters and faces that we have to keep up with, right? In many cases, yeah. I mean, we have, these are the, this is the 10 seconds you're going to see some of these characters and that's it. That's true. These characters true. who have that's their, their own movies, right? This is going to be it. And it's, it is shocking that they got them, that they have them all represented in this montage of bits on screen, but I never got lost. Uh, and, and I thought I would. Wait a minute. You've been, you get lost in Helm's Deep? No, no, no. I just mean like so many faces. The thing I worry about more than anything else when I see these um, when I see these characters is it's just going to be a sea of orcs and I'm not going to be able to take my time and and enjoy and, and like get into the mechanics of what's going on. And when I saw all of those portals open up, I thought there's risk here that it's going to get gross. It's going to be and Battle so of the Five Armies. No, no, I think he means yeah. Battle of the Five Armies <laughs> is what, instead of Helm's yes, Deep. Since, because right. I, you're right. I felt well, I compare it to, okay, that's that's more that's is fair. Ready Player One. Yes. Where, okay. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. another good you one. You have this thing in Ready Player One and there's this mass of armies of pop culture yeah. and all this thing. In Ready Player One, I think there were great Easter eggs throughout it, but you got this feeling that it was just this sort of mass that didn't pay uh, the right amount of honor to each of the characters. I never right. felt like that in this movie. In yeah. this massive game of keep away that they have with the gauntlet, that's, everyone got yes. there. You know, if it's 10 seconds, it's 10 seconds, but you know, some of them were three and a half. And everyone felt like they were treated with the same honor and respect that they deserved for their own movies. And well, that's, is that's he, an accomplishment in and of itself. Yes. And as you point out, it's it's not just, you know, cuts to battle. People fighting, people fighting, people fighting. We have, we have, as you said, you know, keep away. We have a keep away sequence with the gauntlet. We have, for lack of a better term, the, like the badass ladies gang up on Thanos. We have these story moments in there rather than just, I'm going to show you lots of carnage to show you that there's a big battle. We have purposefulness in this. We have characters that have specific tasks that they're trying to accomplish that helps get us through this big battle because we can track why things are happening, not just, oh, this is going to be a hack and slash until the last man standing. We just have to endure this. It's, no, there's strategic things going on with each of these characters. And I, I think the most entertaining was, and I'm, I'm glad you call that keep away because I thought that's what this is. It's like, who's who's got the gauntlet and okay, now they, they okay, 
Thanos has got them. Okay, who are they, who are we doing a lateral pass to over here, and how are we going to keep this thing going right. um, and overcoming you know the forces of Thanos during that? To me, was really entertaining. It kept me engaged where I could have easily, uh, you know, as Tommy likes to say you know, get lost in the sea of fake things, fighting fake things. And this has none of that at all because it's rooted in the people and the characters and what they're trying to do. Can we talk about girl power then? Yes. Yes. The badass girls, they fight. (laughs) Did Okay, so now I'm going to preface this by saying I I was delighted when the camera pulls back and it is just by <laughs> deus ex coincidence <laughs> that all all of the strong women are in this on the same rock outcropping yeah. right at the same time and I thought okay uh, okay I get it I was delighted by it too but it led me to believe that there was something that they cut out that uh, that would have led us to that moment that would be something that was referring to gender because it didn't seem it seemed out of context mm-hmm. because it could have been any group of the heroes, but it was all the women. It, but you think about like we keep making references to Lord of the Rings and I don't mean to do that, but really like with the idea of no man can kill yes. uh, yeah. the king and the woman does it, which is so brilliant in Lord of the Rings. There was no reference to gender and yet then you have this group of badass women which was again delightful to watch but it feels like it was missing something and potentially it was there and they cut it out because it didn't work or it felt too on the nose is my guess but maybe maybe all that's true uh, to me it just ended up feeling like um uh, like they did not believe that the women the way they had used these women characters in the movie so far um had enough chance to show off their real power and so we're going to make a team up in this in this next five seconds that's gonna be amazing and get some slash when i walked out of this thinking my goodness they really used the women characters pretty well and i think we had some great valkyrie hero shots when nebula was awesome i think carol danvers i mean i think there are we can start pulling apart the use of Captain Marvel in this thing if if we need to. But I I deeply enjoyed what she was able to do. And I was waiting for her uh, to do the destroy the ship move that I loved so much in the, the climax of Captain Marvel, the movie. Uh, all of those things, I was already in it. I didn't need the the team up section at all and so it felt really like that that is the one little sequence that felt manipulative to me well and i felt like the women's performances were superior in this movie i already mentioned how i felt about gwyneth paltrow and renee russo i think karen gillen as nebula this is her best movie i think of the bunch she's all over the place she has a ton of heavy lifting to do as two separate characters in this and then also i think scarlett johansson did a master acting job in showing the depth of character that she had as Black Widow. You know, we only see her for the first, you know, two thirds of the movie, but this is her superior movie in the whole bunch as well. And so I feel like we give these, the the women this, and they come through in the big way that I didn't like that scene either. I I do want to transition to Captain Marvel though, because, you know, Every lots of people love that movie. And on going back to it, you know, last month, um, I didn't like it as much. I felt like it was a little thin and I feel a little bit validated in this movie because she isn't she uh, is not the the solution. She is a she is played as a tool here. And again, I don't like that. She should be more. 
she should be more relevant to this than how they use her in this movie. It bothers me that Captain Marvel isn't played out. It, it, we don't get more of her character. I still want more Brie Larson. I still want more Carol Danvers. Why I isn't that happening? She is a fine line character, though, because she can do so much that, you know, she could do the job of a lot of the rest of the adventures. And if you just want more, like, then it's pretty much another Captain Marvel movie. Uh, I think they, you know, insofar as they had to give her something else to do, that line, uh, you know, there are a lot of planets in the universe and not all of them have you guys. Uh, it, it was actually good, even though it was just a tip of the hat to say, OK, if I was here all the time, you would be out of work. Like, that's the other right. side. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, yeah, I, I I agree with that. And I think that line was, as I thought about the movie this afternoon, because my at first I thought, yeah, it's deus ex Danvers. We bring her in when we need her. Um, and the other part is she doesn't have relationships with these characters. And we don't have as long a history as audience members with her because her movie just came out last month. We we don't have this accumulated, you know, time with her to have these these moments. But as I thought about that line that you mentioned, Pete, I'm like, yeah, we have to think about the context of her timeline. She spent all of those years out there just recently. Well, you know, well, she was back on Earth for a little bit and then she took off again until Nick Fury hits the pager. So she has been out there, you know, in the universe amongst all these planets all this time. And so, yes, she I can understand her sense of responsibility to everything out there that doesn't have the Avengers. And I, 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 I struggle with it because I, I know the I understand the challenges the writers had when we have it's there's so much material to dig into with Tony and Steve and Hulk and all of them because there's so much story behind them. We don't have that much with with Carol Danvers and Captain Marvel. So I I have to respect the balancing act and the challenge that it, it presented. I'll, I'll see what I think uh, when I see it again tomorrow, now that I've had time to think about it. But I I do respect the choice of her prioritizing out there because we do know all those worlds are out there. We've seen that with the Guardians of the Galaxy. We know the chaos that is out there. So I am starting to come to terms with her reasoning for making the decisions she's making throughout this. I think, yes, it is driven strictly by we only have so many characters and what are the stories that we need to tell? There's no place to fit her in. Wait, you said you're going to see it tomorrow again? Do we yes. all have? I have tickets to see it again. Pete, do you have t- tickets to see again? 3.30. This is the first movie or the first film board that I've been a part of when all of us have tickets to see it again. I think Andy, <laughs> yeah. you know, he can't be here tonight, but I think he has tickets to see it again, too. Yes. This is I believe he's already that, seen it twice. Yes. I've got see, family this, members that have to see it. And so because they we were not yeah. able to get up with me at 7 a.m. this morning, they had other commitments. So, yes. So that's the thing. This is there is something significant and not just for the film board, for the film industry that's happening here with this movie I, at, at, at my local theater. It started at five o'clock on Thursday and it's played round the clock since then. I mean, there are shows starting at two in the morning and it's a three hour movie that end at five in the morning. I played hooky from work on Friday and I saw it at eight in the morning because I didn't have a ticket and I want to make sure I could get in. This is something really special. When you guys went, how filled was your theater? How much was it? Were all the theaters playing Endgame? What was the audience experience for you guys like? Uh, well, I so I ended up seeing it at 7 a.m. because I wanted to see it at the Harkin Cine Capri in Dolby Atmos. So it's it's the like the biggest screen in Arizona, the recliners, all of that. Um, I 
missed the notice of when tickets went on sale. So yeah, that was the time when I could get a seat that wasn't like front row or like way off to the side uh, because it, it's on that in that theater, it is selling out. You know, I was lucky to get three seats for 7 p.m. tomorrow night that were decent seats to take my daughter and her friend that's her Marvel buddy. That we, you know, go see these movies. Um, yeah, theater was packed at 7 a.m. Um, th- it was at, it was an excited crowd. It, it's weird to see people like lining up to buy popcorn at 6.45 a.m. I'm like, <laughs> I, I ate it. I, I ate oh, it at 8 a.m. I, I, I didn't. Because I, I, I knew, first off, three hours, I'd eat salty popcorn. I'm going to be drinking lots of fluids, which I don't want. I had a little bit of cold brew coffee and a little small bottle of water I brought with me to pace myself throughout, knowing this is a, a three-hour event. But the audience experience they were they were psyched. They were pumped that early in the morning. I I do have to say we haven't talked about a lot of these smaller moments, but the biggest applause in my theater was Captain America picking up the hammer. The crowd yeah. went nuts it was for that. Too. Yes, yeah, that was just straight up bonkers in yes. my theater. Just <laughs> crazy. <laughs> what uh, was your I'm, I'm like, trying to Pete? think of the other the other big uh, applause moments, um, and suddenly I'm I'm just drawing a blank. But oh, I know there were again. a lot. So you're going to get new applause moments, or you're going to get to repeat all the ones. You yeah, had before? no, that's great. I'll tell you the thing that that I noticed more than the applause moments, though. And and the theater was pretty full. It was eleven thirty on a Friday, you know, morning, and the entire back section was full. And it's one of those theaters where it's all, all the seats have been converted to the, you know, recliners. The recliners, thing. so there aren't as many just rows, and so there are only two rows in the in the non stadium section, and those were sparse. But everything in the stadium section was full. And what I noticed really goes back to the music, and we've had such a conversation about the music. And the, how memorable the themes are, and that's been a, a sort of a big and resonant conversation right now on the uh, certainly on the Discord and and in my family. Uh, and uh, I thought the music was exceptional in this movie. I really enjoyed their use of the themes, uh, the way they use the themes to punctuate you know important moments, and I, I think they did a, a just a fantastic job of of using the music, but even more using silence. And those silent moments were moments of like you could hear pockets of sobbing in yeah, different parts yeah. of the movie, of the theater, yes. right? You yeah. hear this, I noticed like, my own this sobbing. Silence. <laughs> yeah, you hear this. It's quiet and I'm crying. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> oh, there's one next to me and oh God, there's another one, you know, and it's just different people just sort of peppering these little sobs. And it's it's because I think they give you that moment of uh, those those moments of silence to, to punctuate, you know, the the great emotion. It was just, I mean, it's, it is, for me, it's the best example of uh, a of, you know, it's it's leveling up use of music in, um, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's the best that they've done to date. I think you're right. And I and I was moved by it, too. I think the theater experience, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it because it is something unique. It's uh, we've had things before, you know, with Harry Potter, with Star Wars that have done this, but nothing really has 
hit the film industry like this. There was a news story that I saw that the AMC, the theater company, their stock rose 11% just on pre-ticket sales alone. And, you know, Andy can't be with us tonight, but Andy actually posted in our Discord channel about that, you know, this is the first weekend for the movie and it's already reaching a break-even point at $1.1 globally. That I mean, th- this movie—it's it, been out for two days. It's huge. Mm-hmm. It's a monster, and this is something that people are going to remember forever. This is one of those movies that everybody's going to be talking about for years to come. You know, we we talk about fan service. We talk about you know whether things get gimmicky, but there's so many. You know, when you're, it's the culminating film of this arc. There were so many key moments, and you know, I, I like to call them echoes of earlier films. When you know. They're they're back in New York on the quest to get, you know, the the Tesseract and all that. And Steve walks into the elevator with all the guys. And I'm like, oh, this is, it's, oh, you know, God. Winter Soldier again. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, and, and there was like an audible gasp of people like recognizing we've been, yeah. we've been yeah. in this situation before. How is it going to play out this time? And then Hail Hydra. And yeah. people, people just went like, you, the people that know... Yes, this is where you yeah. can tell the people that have been along for the whole ride are catching sure. these little moments. Uh, these, like, like I call echoes back to the other films. And it's so rewarding for, for the fans to see that those moments happen. And it's, it's those, it's the, it's the laughs. It's the, the gasps or even the silences from the crowd as they're like, Oh, I wasn't expecting this. How is this going to play out? This is not what I was thinking I was going to see in this movie. And it's see experiencing that as a crowd makes this such a rewarding experience when you're, you're sort of in it with these strangers around you and you're all on the same emotional roller coaster. It's, it's so rewarding. Before we wrap it up, I just have to say one more of the tear jerking moments that, and the sound, the use of sound moments and the tear jerking and more of the tear jerking. Uh, It's, it's, John Favreau uh, mm, as sure. Happy Hogan and yes. sitting, you know, talking to Tony's daughter, uh, you know, on the the bench in front of their house on the lake. And and, uh, you know, he says, you know, I'm going to get you cheeseburgers. I mean, that that talk about an echo, <laughs> you know, Steve, to your point. Yes. Right yeah. Now, thinking about it. I mean, that that takes me back. And of course, we're when I say we the next reel and Andy and and it's hard to have this conversation honestly without Andy here because of just how invested uh he has led us into this the world of of Iron Man through the Marvel movie minute but uh you know this that was the the moment that just I found crushing um because it it really felt like an end and a really satisfying and emotionally resonant end to have that be John Favreau's last moment in this movie <laughs> It was How incredible. integral is that person, John Favreau, yeah. as a person to this franchise, you know, yeah, and what true. he did to bring, you know, and the same could be said about Robert Downey Jr., you know, any of the different pieces of that original puzzle that worked on Iron Man. But this has now become the biggest thing in film history, size-wise, right, by volume and by, you know, it's it's pop culture, but it matters. And these are the people who started it. This is a really special moment, and I'm glad you brought it up. Well, and and I would say to Anthony and Joe Russo, you know, who who sure. directed it and chaperoned these last several chapters into the world, and and to Joe Russo and to Joe and Anthony together, who had this conversation about, you know, what we haven't done, we haven't had this this discussion about gay characters, right? And 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 uh, we're going to do this support group scene, and we're going to actually. Yes 
feel so strongly about it that we're going to play it ourselves, right? This is going to be, you know, Joe is going to take on the role of talking about this. And and in some ways in, in sort of Hollywood culture, it feels like, yeah, kind of a day late, dollar short. Like we're, all, we're already down that road, you know? We have uh, sure. loves, movies like Love, Simon, you know, that are so terrific. Yeah. But, but to yeah. do it in this property, in yeah. this global property is a statement and it's it's worth yep. at least acknowledging just you know the that these are risky statements to make in some capacity and i think it's it, it's it's great to see you know both the you know john favreau's importance acknowledged in such an incredibly emotional sequence and and to see you know captain america uh leading a support, a support group, group. You yeah know, uh, like this next time yeah. just don't film that scene in handheld Anyway, uh, yeah, that's me just being camera weird. I don't understand why they shot that in handheld <laughs> for the slow, intimate moments and the camera shaking all over the place. I, yeah, I'm happy with the writing and that yeah. thing, too. I don't want to get caught up on that, but those are the quibbles that I have about stuff like that. Uh, I love it. And I love that we're we're talking about all these things. And we could talk about it all night, too, if we allowed yeah. ourselves to. But I think we should get down to business and we should rank it. We've got all the movies that we've talked about on this show ranked over at flickchart.com dash or slash rather TNR film board. Flickchart is a really cool site where you can create a tournament style stack ranking of your movie preferences. So check it out and find out how your film favorites fare against ours. Pete, you are driving us today. What are we going up against first? It opens with a, a challenge, you guys, and I'm sorry to have to present such a divisive pairing to you <laughs> as the first thing that we do. Avengers Endgame versus The Predator 2018. What? That's in the middle? <laughs> Endgame. <laughs> Endgame. Yeah. We're yeah. in trouble. I'm not but saying you need I'm to not remember. choosing my movie. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm it's, telling. It's a command. End this game. End this game. No, it's one of those things when most of the movies we picked are bad. Yes, Predator is in the middle. Uh, wow, how right. about Endgame versus Fury 2014? Gosh. This wow. is Endgame for me. Absolutely. I think I have yeah. to pick Endgame, but I really yeah. like Fury. Yeah, Fury is I really gotta good. I got to pick Endgame. Endgame yeah. is, yeah, Endgame is, yeah, I'm going with Endgame. I feel weird about it, but yeah. How about Endgame or Get Out? Oh, wow. How do, we, how do we go, from, how do we go from Predator and in two clicks we're at this now? <laughs> wow. Out. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, if we were to stop now, yeah, Avengers it, would be number be in, 20 on our list out of eight. Really? So we've mm-hmm. got good ones on there, too. Oh, yeah, we, we do. We, we, we do. do. That's the point. Uh, I can't. I still haven't seen Get Out. I'm embarrassed about it to say that right now. I'm still terrified of it, but I will get there. I just need an ally or, you know, to get some guts. But, you know, I still haven't seen it. So hopefully you guys pick the same thing here. I'm going to go with Endgame because it may... Yes, it's, there's, yeah. it's so hard with... It's got so much weight to it with everything because i feel like i'm not just ready to end game but the whole the whole huge story and that's that's tough to to compete against mm-hmm. yeah it it starts getting challenging here yeah okay. um avengers endgame or logan 2017 oh. so much i feel like we are we you know owed to logan in the first act of endgame it very much is a movie that that allows you to explore what it's like to deal with loss even as super powered individuals and i'm i'm going to pick logan and i'm not ashamed of it i'm picking logan all right steve i am also going to pick logan <sighs> wow 
That is a lockup. I am surprised at that. And so I it doesn't don't matter. <laughs> nope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we are up against Avengers or Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, Gosh, it is tough. Wow. Like, this is the thing. The Predator little like faint we had at the beginning was nice yeah. and easy because every single other movie has been tough mm-hmm. for me. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, Gosh, it's just so much smaller than Endgame, but it's so good. Um, I'm going to pick Endgame. I am also Endgame. Oh, okay. Then I don't matter. That's fine. And I'm happy with with either of yeah. those. And, That's, and, that and is, I will tell you, yeah. it's not that way on my personal flick chart. Edge of oh. Tomorrow is in like the top 10, and, and Endgame is like down at 20. But anyway, oh, keep going. Okay. All right. Uh, Avengers Endgame or Gravity 2013. Talk about Endgame. big movie, small movie. Yeah, no, Endgame. Endgame. By comparison. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Endgame. And that puts it at number six. Okay. okay. That seems right to me. That seems right. I'm uh, still yeah. weird that I picked it instead it, of Edge tomorrow. But, so you know. here is our top ten uh, right <laughs> now. <laughs> Nick Langdon is not going to be happy with our top ten, I have a feeling. Uh, no, I no. You're, <laughs> yes, you're right about that. Here we go. Spider-Man <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse is number one. Blade wow. Runner uh, 2049, 2049 is number two. Star Wars The Last Jedi, number three. Star Wars <laughs> The Force Awakens, number four. Logan, number five. Avengers Endgame, number six. Then Gravity, Edge of Tomorrow. Molly's game and Kingsman the Secret Service. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This is yeah, it may be we thing. may be nearing time for a grand flick chart re-ranking for the film board. Uh, Andy amazing, and I have taken that on before. All but five people here to do yeah, that. And yep, I think I think we, we all should. Have to be there. But we should also do as a requirement to do it that everybody has to see the movies. That's right. So we'll make a, why don't we do that? Let's make a little plan that say <laughs> that'll be a Patreon very special episode. Yes. <laughs> and and we'll and what we'll do is we'll say for all five of us, we have to go out and make sure that we see every movie that's listed there. And all then we can come back and have a them? grand re-ranking. Is there eighty? Okay. Well, we have yes. most of us we've seen most we, of them. Most like of us I have, have seen maybe ten that I haven't seen. Yeah, wait, right? wait, wait. So you're JJ, you're telling me I have to sit down and watch Child Forty Four. You're gonna yes. miss Yes. yes. And All Tommy right, has have... to watch Ant Man, guys. <laughs> oh, oh, that's going to be tough. We can't he talk get... about oh. requiring oh. an ally. Yes. Uh, hey, I... uh, real quick, how did this do, JJ? So you said uh, Avengers ended up at around eighty on your personal flick chart. No, 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 how no, did... 20, 20. Or, I mean, Here, twenty. Let me, twenty. Let me, on let your me get the specific number for you. Yeah, um, it's in the twenties. I should say that it's right above Endgame for me, or not Endgame. Sorry, it's right above Into the Spider Verse for me. Steve had to do on on yours while he's it it is um it's sitting at number eight it's right in between uh it's just above a quiet place and just below eighth grade oh dear yeah <laughs> my top ten is a real interesting wow. mix of things <laughs> what uh yeah That's what very a list. <laughs> uh, mine ended up at number twelve um which puts it uh right. I can't, yeah, my flick chart also needs some work, you guys, seriously. It's right above Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which, if you've listened to that show, you know I deeply love Star Trek VI, The sure. Undiscovered Country. And it's right below Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. I know. We ran into similar things. It is right below The Wrath of Khan for me. Oh, okay. It's at 26. Wrath of Khan. I couldn't put it above Wrath of Khan. And then it is just above Into the Spider-Verse at 27 for me. So, yeah. Okay. Interesting interesting places for us. And, and a little different than us as a group, which I think is interesting, yeah. too. Now, um, if we're going by the algorithm, 
Yes. Uh, for letterbox.com slash the next reel, what do you guys, uh, where is this for you in terms of stars and hearts? It tells me I'm supposed to be a 4.5. I'm giving it a four um, and uh, definitely a like. Wow. Steve? Uh, let's see. So the algorithm is telling me, I don't know what it's where it's supposed to tell me. I should say it five stars. I'm giving it four and a half just because I'm still struggling with that Captain Marvel piece a little bit. Oh, I'm a hard five and a like yeah. you guys are killing me. So we'll average out to four and a half, uh, over on Letterboxd. Oh, interesting to see what the other, uh, what the other guys might say. And where do we go from here? We are uh, planning at this point to go and take a look at the release. This is on Mother's Day weekend for a Pokemon Detective <laughs> Pikachu. <laughs> and oh I, you know, I think it's worth a laugh, but yeah. I also am super excited about it. I have to say, Ryan Reynolds, I've seen some trailers that make me very nervous about it, that maybe we're walking into another Happy Time Murders. But I've seen other trailers that I think look brilliant and funny, and I trust Ryan Reynolds and I really like Pokemon because I have young children. So that's what we're planning on doing next month for the main show for the next reel. Uh, Pete, what are you guys doing right now? Well, we are uh, just this week. We are finishing our Spanish apartment trilogy from uh, uh, Cedric Klepich. And then we're digging into Ingrid Bergman. And uh, we've got a whole list that was actually brought to us by our patrons at patreon.com slash the next reel. It was fantastic that that we, we put the whole slate of Bergman films, and I, I think we came up with seven. Uh, so wow. as soon as we finish uh, the Chinese puzzle this week, then we move into Bergman. So fun, fun stuff coming up. In the Marvel Movie Minute, it's totally relevant. Usually I quiz uh-huh. Andy on where we're at in it. Uh, but uh, Pete, you mentioned that there is uh, a, a cool series coming up uh, week this week on that show as well. Yeah, you know, we're actually, uh, as this goes live, we're in the middle of our week with uh, the fine Kathy Campbell. And Kathy is the host of Sestercast and the Friends in Your Ears podcast over on the Incomparable uh, Podcast Network, which is fantastic. And uh, she also hosts an independent podcast called Robot and Unicorn uh, with a, a dear friend of hers they're both uh, all three of her shows are fantastic andy and i have both been guests on friends in your ears uh in the past and so it was really fun to get kathy on for a whole week uh talking about iron man and she's got some awesome minutes they're the they're the the jet fighter uh minutes uh okay yeah it's it's great that's awesome. And, you know, you talked about what's happening on Patreon. I forgot to talk about it at the show open, but all you wonderful people out there in the world should come and join us over on Discord. At thenextreel.com, you can check out about Discord and uh, and uh, check out about what we're doing over there. We have uh, a time that we meet uh, half an hour before we record our show for the film board every week where we get together and talk about the movie that we've seen or just what's going on in the movie business. We had a really fun session there tonight talking about Avengers Endgame because I haven't been able to talk about it yet because nobody wants to be spoiled. So it was really great to come into the lobby and talk with everyone there. We have uh, on our Discord channel also a, n- a number of di- different channels that where we talk about all of our different shows and all of the things that are going on in the entertainment universe. So come join our gang and interact with us there um, because we like the attention. So that's where we will keep the conversation going. But for this one, let's say goodnight, Be right? I am inevitable. And one more word from Steve Sarment. Under. At the next reel when the movie ends. Our conversation begins. Till next. Hey. 
Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 